This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, November 1st, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. Is it too early to say that criminal justice reform is dead on Capitol Hill? Mark Levin, director of the Center for Effective Justice at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, says there's still time for something to happen, possibly in the lame duck session. We spoke earlier this month in Nashville. Criminal justice reform essentially died in uh, the in Congress, but you suggest that there may be some hope that the lame duck session, people who've already been reelected or had just been unelected, uh, might push something through. Well, I'd say it's on life support, uh, but fortunately, you know, when you have the Speaker of the House administering that life support, that's uh, encouraging. Uh, we have been in very uh, close conversation with Speaker Ryan, and he's incredibly committed to uh, seeing this criminal justice reform through. Um, and his plan is to bring it up in the lame duck session um, before the end of the year. And of course, you know, those of us on the right, uh, understandably, are very skeptical of lame duck maneuvers when they come to spending money. But fortunately, this is something that actually saves money. Um, but more importantly, is going to be good for public safety and good for keeping families together. And uh, among other things, this package uh, of bills in the House uh, will uh, really uh, rein in these, some of these extreme uh, sentences of very low-level drug offenders under federal law uh, by expanding what's called the safety valve, where judges could depart from um, uh, what would be an excessive, sometimes 30- or 40-year sentence for a low-level drug case, far more than many uh, violent offenders get. And um, so uh, we're you know, encouraged. I think that it can come out of the House potentially with an overwhelming vote, and that would generate enough momentum to where Leader McConnell would bring it up in the Senate, where I think there are 60 votes for it. So uh, we're certainly uh, cautiously optimistic to get this done before the end of the year. What were the big sticking points for Democrats and Republicans on the reforms that had been on the table? I know it was it Mike Lee had uh, a piece of reform. Mm-hmm. Um, Rand Paul had his reform, and they've sort of got jumbled up as they do in pieces of legislation. Things get removed, things get added. Jim Sensenbrenner had uh, a piece of reform as well, but none of them came together in, some, in terms of something that was agreeable to everyone. So what were the big sticking points? Well, there's a few things. I mean, by far the uh, largest sticking point is mens rea, uh, which would uh, means providing for a default culpable mental state required before you can be convicted of over 4,000 federal crimes. Uh, Meaning in English? That means that you have to have an intent. You have to know not chapter and verse what the law is, but generally that you're doing something wrong and illegal in order to be con- uh, convicted. So it can't be accidental or inadvertent. Um, as an example, there was a case in Washington, uh, Washington, Syria, where this janitor in a nursing home, uh, unknowingly, some of the water was going out the wrong way through the wrong pipe. And the EPA police showed up, arrested him, and basically ruined his career and his life. Um, and in order to avoid prison time, he had to retire and take probation. But um, he had no idea he was doing anything against the law. And so um, certainly, you know, civil lawsuits are appropriate, administrative penalties uh, for these types of violations, but we shouldn't be criminalizing people who had no idea they were doing anything wrong. So um, fortunately, uh, there's a great deal of support among Republicans uh, for default mens rea provision. Indeed, there's some Republicans, particularly in the House, who won't vote for the package unless it contains that. But in the Senate, you have a lot of Democrats and, of course, President Obama, who are strong opposed to it. Um, and so uh, 
I think the problem is that the these Democrats view it as just protecting fat cats. But the reality is, um, you know, we were actually filed an amicus brief in a, a federal court case out of Florida. But in their drug laws in Florida, they actually say there's no level of culpability required for conviction. So that's not even something where a default provision would fix it because it's actually specifying that you have no level of intent is required. So what that means is if you run a car, it hurts. And unbeknownst to you, there are drugs where the spare tire is supposed to be, um, you know, under the, that uh, compartment in the trunk, and you get pulled over for speeding and a dog smells those drugs, you're guilty. No questions asked. Uh, you could be prosecuted of a felony, uh, even though you weren't even negligent. You didn't even have a, uh, the most basic level of intent. Um, so that's why it's so important. And it's a totally uh, misconception that it, it is uh, just to protect uh, corporate fat cats. So now one of the other issues is there's a lot of support for this earned time provision where people in federal prison could earn time off their sentence by completing programs. And it doesn't apply to terrorists and murderers and the other heavy duty offenders. But there's um, some Democrats who are concerned that uh, because it would, it would, its applicability would depend in part on the risk level, and there's actually really reliable actuarial instruments for uh, uh, determining someone's risk level of reoffense. But um, and it so happens that somebody who's you know let's say an insider trader, they tend to come up as pretty low risk. They have stable families and and uh, you know things like that. Then uh, they would be more likely to benefit from this, and therefore they argue there's a disparate racial impact. Um, but you know it kind of reminds me of if it would someone who is against the death penalty. Be be satisfied uh, because there is this disparity, for example, with blacks getting the death penalty, where it would be a solution for someone against the death penalty be to be execute more white people. Um, so that's the kind of you know mental gymnastics that we see. And uh, certainly, um, I think everyone would agree there's some people in federal prison who should serve every day of their sentence, whether it's you know an international terrorist or, or, or not. And you know where the risk uh, level adjustment is that can be debated. But certainly, having some incentive for as many people as possible to be able to earn time by completing programs that are proven to reduce recidivism is a very good policy. And uh, I hope people don't uh, kind of, uh, you know, make the perfect the enemy of the good. All right. So um, for Republicans, you're talking about earning time off, but mandatory minimums seems to have been a sticking point for them as well. Yes. I mean, there's certainly been legislation from Rand Paul and others to actually just get rid of federal drug mandatory minimums, uh, particularly, you know, except for large drug dealing uh, offenses, but at this low level uh, amounts, just abolish them. And unfortunately, there wasn't enough support for that to move forward uh, in either the House or Senate Judiciary Committee. But um, certainly expanding the safety valve would go some ways to fixing that because um, what, you know, basically in order to for a judge to have any flexibility to give a lower sentence for a federal drug crime now, even the most low-level offenses, you have to have virtually no criminal history points. You have to be Mother Teresa to benefit from the current safety valve. So this legislation would substantially expand the safety valve. Now, if you have a homicide and other things, you're still going to have too many points. But for people with a you know nonviolent criminal record, um, and uh, there are a lot more people that would benefit from the safety valve, thousands more under this package. And it also, by the way, makes retroactive what the Sensing Commission did, which was to narrow the crack powder disparity. And again, you can argue for narrowing it further than they did. It went from 100 to 1 to 18 to 1. Um, so all of this is to say that these reforms by no means go far enough, but it's a great start. And considering nothing's been done since the 94 crime bill, which, of course, was mostly bad, um, it's at least turning the page. Now, the, the powder crack disparity uh, is essentially the punishment that you're likely to receive for a given punch of cocaine in different forms. 
Right. It's ultimately the same substance. Now, I mean, crack is more potent for every amount, but this disparity was ludicrous. Um, uh, because and, you can always just turn cocaine into crack. Yes. And so, um, by the way, uh, through the Obama administration, what they've been doing with these commutations that you've heard about, um, uh, they just did 400 recently, but um, pretty much almost all of them are people that were would have gotten a lower sentence today had they been sentenced today because of the narrowing of this uh, crack powder disparity. So part of that benefit of that is already being implemented through this clemency process. Um, so I, I know certainly uh, most of us don't agree with the vast majority of things the Obama administration does, but the idea that people should still be serving in prison for, because even though that had they been sentenced today, they would have gotten a much lower sentence. I think that's an entirely proper use of the commutation power. Which the president has may use at will uh, without any intervention from any other uh, branch. Yes, although certainly one would hope that uh, you know pardons don't get sold or, or given for improper reasons, as it sometimes occurred in the past. But uh, uh, Barack Obama is desperately seeking a legacy as president that doesn't involve either the words overreach or drones. So, how likely is he to uh, sign whatever lands on his desk? Oh, I think very likely, and that's why I think you know, for example, on the mens rea thing. You know, if it can get 60 votes in the Senate, I'm not worried about Obama vetoing the package because it, it includes a default mens rea provision. And there's different ways that that's been, uh, you know, tweaked uh, to uh, make it somewhat less objectionable to some of the Democrats. But, you know, I, I think that um, uh, President Obama would dearly like to uh, have this be part of his legacy. And, um, you know, that's not why Republicans should do it. We should do it because it's good policy. And I think that's that's what Speaker Ryan's focusing on. And, I mean, he's putting as much energy into this as Obama. So people shouldn't see this as Obama's baby by any means. Um, and the reality is during the first six years of the administration, President Obama didn't do virtually anything on criminal justice reform. So he's a bit late to the party. We've been at this since well, 2005 in Texas and 2010, which uh, where we, we launched right on crime. So, and of course, 30 states have done criminal justice reform through justice reinvestment. Others have done it just in a less systematic way. Um, uh, so I think that um, uh, this actually really is something that began bubbling up from the states. And of course, Texas, you know, where we've uh, closed several prisons, crime's down 29%. So that really encouraged other states. And then that's what led to this reexamination at the federal level. Mark Levin is director of the Center for Effective Justice at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.